0: hello everyone it is that williams guy here for wow two episodes in a row even though somebody else hosted the last episode and i haven't listened to it yet but we're here for our second consecutive week and joining me tonight will be dan brady how you doing dan
1: doing all right lee how about you
0: i'm doing well dan introduce yourself
1: i'm dan brady work for a company called Apache solutions out of yadkinville north carolina doing uh private Mostly pistol defensive pistol instruction, uh, both in Yagdanville and around the country. Uh, do some national conferences. I'll be at uh, I'll be at TACON in April. And I'm also still full-time sworn law enforcement officer, I work for the Department of Defense.
0: All right, cool. And there's no way in the world that Dan and I can get together in any setting and adult supervision not be required. So that's why we have Steve Havey here to be our get back coach tonight. How you doing, Steve?
2: I'm doing great, and once again, it's good to be graded on the curve.
0: (laughs) Well, you were so nice that you can balance out both Dan and me.
2: (laughs) I just think of the people that I knew in my corporate world that would be just laughing like crazy at that statement.
0: (laughs) Well, there you go. Uh, This is going to be kind of an hodgepodge episode tonight. Uh, cause we're going to touch on several topics and the first of those is going to be low light training. Cause we had a specific request to have Dan Brady on to talk about low light training. So Dan, just kind of in a general synopsis, uh, what do we need to accomplish in low light training? And then we'll come back with that with what do people waste time on in low light training?
1: Okay. Uh, what we need to accomplish is first of all, uh, I actually don't like the term "low light" uh, because we don't we don't really operate in truly low light. The vast majority of people, uh, what we run across as uh, civilians, specifically uh, not not law enforcement folks, but civilians specifically, is what I refer to as compromised lighting conditions, where you have people who are backlit to you. Uh, you may not be able to identify them, identify their intent, identify what they may have in their hands, things of that nature. It, it's, it's more about compromised lighting conditions uh, than low light itself. Um, in, in truly low light environments, uh, you're probably just as safe as a, a complete you know, full daylight environment because if the bad guy can't see you, the bad guy can't really select you Uh, for victimization either but it's when you have uh, light in your face you have some sort of photonic barrier you're dealing with um, and you can be seen but you can't necessarily identify threats along the way so what we need to do is we need to be able to deal with that in a uh, realistic application uh, and not something overly complex and legally questionable.
0: There you go. I think one of the biggest issues that I see is the lack of any kind of discretion, uh, training in low light. For instance, I can see that target because I have enough illumination to see the target and make an accurate shot upon it. But can I see the target to identify whether or not that would be a cell phone or a firearm in someone's hand?
1: Yeah, and I specifically addressed that in my low light class, uh, which I have one coming up actually in the early part of March. So,
0: Okay, will that be in Yadkinville? Yes, it will be. Okay, make sure to plug that at the end, please, sir. I will. As well as any other training that is coming up in Yakinville or wherever our package solutions will travel
1: so uh, what was the, What was the second part that you, you said you wanted to address?
0: Where do we waste time? Uh, what are, what are the things we do wrong?
1: Uh, if, if you go back to, you know, a, a thousand years ago when you and I were rookie cops, um, and, uh, weapon mounted lights started becoming a thing, uh, that were fairly available. Um, Eventually, when they became bright enough and compact enough to be utilized in a everyday carry citizen manner, uh, some, somewhere around the, the Surefire X200 to X300 transition, you, right around there, um, it really started to become very popular for civilians to have weapon-mounted lights on their guns. And... Mount one, holster it, and think that they're good to go. Um, you know, if, oh, if I'm in the dark, I got my light right here, and I can see see what I'm shooting. And it's a lot easier to, to shoot accurately when your light and your weapon are co-located and you have a, a solid positive grip on that firearm. That is 100% true. Where people fail to apply a lot of thinking is... As non-law enforcement folks, how are you identifying whether or not that is a deadly force threat without your weapon-mounted light? Because if you're pointing your weapon-mounted light at what you think may or may not be a threat, well, if it's not, you have also pointed a muzzle of a firearm, at least in the direction of that uh That that mental question that you have as to whether or not this is a threat. And if it's not a threat in a lot of jurisdictions anyway, you've now committed aggravated assault uh, by pointing a firearm at that person. And even if it is a threat of some kind, but it's not a deadly force threat. Now you have introduced a firearm into a hostile situation that may not have required one to begin with. So we waste a lot of time as civilians looking at uh, weapon-mounted lights and carrying with weapon-mounted lights. Uh, I, I did it myself in an off-duty status for many, many, many years. And it's simply not necessary. Uh, I, I think people waste a lot of time not knowing what they need for uh, lighting, uh, pers- defensive oriented lighting, and they throw a pocket flashlight in their pocket. And, you know, it's a, it's an everyday carry. It's a, it's a full spectrum usage light. It's got 47 modes. And if you need it defensively and you press the one that's, you know, got three candela and half a lumen for, you know, reading a map in your car at night, that is not doing anything to help you whatsoever, and now you got to cycle through eighteen modes to get to, you know, your pocket sun. So the the assumption—I think—we waste a lot of time making assumptions as to what we need when it comes to defensive use of light.
0: Yeah, you, know, you, you mentioned using the weapon amount of light basically to search, and I see that as a problem with a lot of cops as well. Uh, you see it very frequently both well I've seen other cops do it and then you, know, you see a lot in like if you're watching these force videos and like doing reviews is you'll see folks out with that gun waving it all around searching and wherever that light is pointed the muzzle is pointed and that's violating you know all of the four cardinal rules that, that typically get mentioned at the beginning of every firearm training session and those are as Tom Givens would say, those are lifestyle rules. They are not range rules. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the different modes on the light. I have joked with several representatives from different lighting manufacturers. Like, I don't need my light to work any other way than when I hit the button, it comes on as bright as it can possibly go, and when I hit the button, it turns off. <laughs> I don't need these other settings. Uh, Thankfully, some of them are reprogrammable so that you can set them up so that when you hit the switch, the brightest light comes on. Um, I have in my, you know, not in a uniform setting, I uh, told the story several episodes back where my truck broke down in downtown Atlanta, as downtown as Atlanta is in downtown Atlanta you can get. And I am in a parking lot waiting for a wrecker and I was approached by an urban camper and it's dark. And my verbal warnings to stay back did not stop them. But that thousand lumens that came out of my pocket and lit them up certainly stopped them. But I was not justified in pointing a firearm at them. Yep. And had I drawn my pistol and had it had a weapon mounted light on it, and I pointed it at the person to light them up and the security cameras at this facility caught me i'm done i'm toast cuz i was not legally justified to do that
1: and that's and that's where a lot of people you know make that mistake and it almost it almost comes down to uh, you know the old i'd rather be judged by 12 than carried mm-hmm. by 6 uh, you know thing that kind of gets tossed around when people don't actually know what they're talking about and you know the you know, I, I jokingly use the term pocket sun, uh, but that's really what these things have turned into. Um, okay. You know, you you have a number of manufacturers who are putting out lights that generate anywhere between 650 and a thousand lumens, but what is considerably more important than the lumen count is the candela count. And candela, you, th- you can think of candela as pressure. If you think about a water hose, uh, if you hold the water hose like this and it's just the open spout, you know, the. The amount of water that comes out, it do, it doesn't go real far, but if you put a nozzle on there and you have a heavy spray, the amount of water that's coming out doesn't change, but the pressure behind it does. And if you think about candela as pressure, that hot spot of of how much uh, how intense that hot spot is, that's that's what candela is. And so you know, you smash somebody in the face with something north of. 25 or 30,000 candela and it elicits a a physiological response is that startle flinch away response when if you have dark or dim adapted vision and you get hit with that kind of you know that kind of change human beings are are visual creatures 85 90 percent of our environmental information comes in through our eyes and if you either go from a lighted environment into a pitch black environment, as a human being, you will stop and allow yourself to adjust your vision so that you don't walk off a cliff. And if you go from a dark adapted environment where you can see somewhat and you go to a full daylight, you will physiologically stop moving because you no longer have that visual information. and that's what a you know it's what a pocket sun does. It just it takes away all of your visual information, and a, as the 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 subject, and it gives me all the visual information I need. Um, so you are both defeating any sort of photonic barrier that you may be facing, and you are also creating one yourself. Um, that in and of itself is an extremely powerful tool. Um, for information gathering on your part and information denial on the part of this potential theoretical adversary.
0: Yeah, you know, the instance that I referenced where that individual was approaching me in the parking lot, they stopped, they froze when I hit them with with the light. Uh, They they were not expecting it. Uh, They were completely shut down and and not expecting that response. I don't think that's what we can count on happening Mm -hmm. all the time. But as you say, it takes away their information. Had that individual continued on towards me, I could have moved in either direction. And I don't think they would have realized which way I was going. And that would given me an advantage to get where I wanted to go.
1: You know, human vision doesn't adapt to changes in light incredibly fast. um, And, you know, even if in that, that scenario that you had uh, that you were talking about, even if it is an individual who's not a deadly threat, but maybe a physical threat going from the the bright light. And even if they continue to approach and they're doing the the blinking thing and you add a little bit of this to uh, their day, um, you know, that t- that tends to, you know, if you use those in conjunction, the bright light and the, you know, liquid Carolina reaper um you you add those two together and that is an incredibly formidable hands-off tool to maybe not eliminate but certainly greatly diminish a a non-deadly force threat
0: for our audio only audience he was (laughs) holding up a can of OC spray
1: (laughs) specifically specifically palm OC I'm a big big fan
2: as am I. The, so I envision someone that's got X dollars to spend on their lighting system Mm -hmm. and they put half of it into their carry light, their flashlight, and half of it into their weapon mounted light. And they'd be better off unless they have just unlimited resources, putting the whole X into a flashlight, a good quality flashlight. Would that be a something for someone to consider in a civilian environment?
1: I, I I say, I I say, yes, I say that that is that that is if you don't have the resources. And the other thing is, uh, when it comes to weapon mounted lights is as small as they have gotten, and as powerful as they are, they still do take up some physical real estate in your holster carriage. Now, Steve, you and I are sizable human beings. And you know, Lee, you're not a tiny dude. So having uh, you know, that physical real estate in which to carry a weapon mounted light, we yeah, we can you and Steve, you and I can get by with that pretty easily. Lee, I'm guessing you probably can as well. But if you are not a physically large person, some of those holsters are are not comfortable to carry full time. Additionally uh, you're, you're not going to get the same level of usage out of a weapon mounted light as you will a handheld light. Does that come with some sort of uh, negative to it? Certainly uh, all things when it comes to personal defense are a compromise in some way, shape or form. uh, And that is if my non-dominant hand is tasked with the light that means it leaves my dominant hand only for things like accessing my weapons whether they be non-lethal or lethal um, which means you you have to do some skill acquisition uh, in terms of being able to one hand draw your firearm and effectively utilize it. it it's that is the I mean that that the usage of the light and the one-hand manipulations uh, of the firearm should be the basis of most civilian-oriented uh, low-light or compromised lighting condition classes.
2: Are the rules different for sworn officers?
1: Legally, no. In all actuality, yeah. Um, you will see cops get away with muzzling folks on the street who do not need to be muzzled. I mean, everybody, everybody here on this podcast, and certainly I would say the vast majority have watched cops or one of the other. What is it? Live PD was a thing for a while. I don't know if it still is or not. Um, yeah, any one of those shows where you know the cameras follow around actual police officers doing actual police work. And if you watched more than two or three of those episodes, you saw somebody get muzzled at some point, who at no time posed a legitimate deadly force threat, uh, or even something approaching a legitimate deadly force threat, and it it is seen as commonplace. It just is. Okay. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that that is the right thing. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But no, I'm that's... saying it, that is that is a fact in today's society. You, If you, Steve, uh, some some guy comes up into your corner store where you typically deal with uh, gas or whatever it is that you have to buy, uh, You know, the missus sent you out at eight o'clock at night uh, and somebody rolls up in there just being a complete buffoon and, and being loud and threatening and everything else like that. And you decide to unholster on them and tell them get out and everything else like that you could very well be looking at criminal charges. Um, a Sworn law enforcement uniform is not going to be looking at criminal charges. He may look at a suspension. He may look at uh, some sort of reprimand. Um, okay. Depending on, well, the, depending on the agency.
2: Right. The reason I asked the question is because there is somebody out there that has, and one of the reasons I asked the question is we have seen sworn officers do that. And somebody's out there going to be thinking, well, I see sworn officers do it all the time. So why am I going to be in trouble? Well, this is why. And that's why we're that's why we're discussing this tonight. Now, what about the guy that's sitting at home saying, hey, I've got my 47,000 candela, 1300 lumen weapon mounted light, and I can just bounce it off the floor, or bounce it off the wall to illuminate what I'm looking for. So I don't have to have a handheld flashlight. I can, uh, what if I wanna if I got a potential threat or I'm worried about it, I'll just bounce the light off of something to light it up. What do you tell that person?
1: Uh, inside your own home, sure. Uh, what are referred to as baseboard lighting and umbrella lighting, those two techniques that you described. Uh, inside your own home, hundred percent. You know, you want to make sure it's not your teenage daughter sneaking in at two o'clock in the morning because she snuck out at ten thirty at night after you hit the rack yeah, absolutely. You are not placing that, that individual in danger because you are muzzle down or muzzle up depending on your circumstances. And you can very effectively illuminate most, uh, American living spaces, unless you live someplace, absolutely palatial, you know, maybe Lee has a, you know, 4,800 square foot palace that he lives in. I don't know, but, uh, you know, if, if you have something that's got, you know, 25, 27 foot vaulted ceilings that aren't, uh, you know, most American ceilings are, are white or at least off white in color. But if you have something otherwise dark wood or something like that, then maybe that's not going to be as effective, but baseboard and umbrella lighting do work. Again, if you are in a CCW concealed carry type situation. Uh, might you get away with that? You you might, you might. But again, even if you are legally okay in your particular jurisdiction, or you have a very forward thinking, defensive minded sheriff, uh, like some of the sheriffs down in Florida, I can come to mind who uh, Grady. Are, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, who, who, who are all about uh, civilians, defending you know, maybe you're not looking at some sort of criminal issue there. But again, you are now possibly unnecessarily quite likely unnecessarily introducing a projectile weapon into a unknown environment um and i mean steve you and i were just in cecil birch's class together uh up in yadkinville and when you're talking about uh confrontations in 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 entangled distances you know uh hand to hand distances uh i don't care how fast your draw is um if you make a if you make a bad timing decision that isn't your gun that becomes our gun communism takes hold right then and there in that tiny little space and you know now it's a fight over what used to be your gun and is now our gun um and that's not a situation that anybody needs. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's my take on it. Uh, that's the, okay. the, the take in several uh, high level instructors who, who teach that, uh, in, the entangled fighting sort of thing, timing decisions, very, very important and introducing a weapon before it is time to do so, real bad move.
2: As we saw in the class. By the way, we should take a moment now to uh, remind everyone that just as Lee is the uh, designated shot show survivor, should something occur, we are uh, doing this show during the Super Bowl. It's probably approaching the end of the second quarter about now. We don't know because we're isolated, because we are the designated Super Bowl survivors. So, <laughs> some unnamed country that, uh, you know, like the one that had fifth gen fighters and Top Gun Maverick unleash a subliminal advertisement that takes over the minds of most americans you can count on steve dan and lee to come to your rescue and now we return to our (laughs) regular programming
0: yeah i have not watched an nfl game since 2016 i guess the 2015 season was the last time i watched and quite frankly i don't care if the players protest and kneel; they've got a right to do what they what they want to say in that situation i just got tired of the wall-to-wall coverage of it and Sports is supposed to be my, it's an entertainment. It's my escape from the world. I don't want my entertainment corrupted. I'm also protesting the fact that the Washington Redskins no longer (laughs) exist. I was raised as a Redskins fan um, because I am uh, supposedly related to Sammy Ball, who, let me say his name correctly, Sam Ball, because in his later years, she did not like being called Sammy, Uh, my great uncle's. Insisted that I be a Redskins fan. And so I was. And so since the NFL has decided that the Redskins no longer exist, they decided they don't need me as a customer. So, but well, anybody else who wants to watch, go right ahead and have fun.
2: I still watch the NFL, but I love Lee and Dan. So that's why I'm here.
0: <laughs> you know, they'll probably talk about what happened tonight during the news tomorrow. So I don't know who won. <laughs> I just, now my dream Super Bowl matchup was always the Redskins and the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have done their part, but the former Redskins have not done theirs of late. But uh oh well. I refuse to acknowledge the commanders. Now I actually thought the name Washington football team was kind of cool. I could have gotten mm-hmm. on board with could have gotten on board with that. Uh but this whole commanders thing, just like that ended any chance of me coming back.
2: Okay. Uh, well I was I was trying to interject a you know uh, a light uh humorous moment in there, Lee.
0: Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs>
1: i'll leave it to leave it to lee to wreck something like that steve (laughs) he's got those buttons
2: it's like everybody wants to know how do you get lee to smile when they're taking pictures it's easy it's so easy all you got to do is say something derogatory about Hearn, and he'll smile yeah they want to do things like pinch him or goose him or whatever lee please smile just say something bad about
0: Hearn, and
2: then take the picture okay Uh,
0: um by the way, I was involved in a shoot off amongst a bunch of instructors here recently. That the level of trash talk in that far exceeded anything that, uh, that Herman and I do. It got ugly and sporty there for a while. All in good fun, of course. Oh, okay. Um, you know, something about the weapon minded life from that last discussion that you brought up, Steve. I'll piggyback off what Dan said. There's no way for the weapon minded life to be utilized in that setting without the weapon being out of the holster mm-hmm. and I, think, I think dan covered the problems with that very well and we're going to come back to that class that you two guys attended but i want to point out to another thing with that you know dan mentioned in the home and I, I agree to a certain point but the other issue is i watched a video this morning of two deputies in a county in texas just god-awfully performing in an use of force. I said, I don't know whether they're going to come out ultimately to be deemed justified in this use of force, but they knocked on a door and announced themselves as the sheriff's office, and then an individual was seen walking through the house towards the door. They're looking through the front windows, and they see that this individual is carrying a firearm, and they shot enough rounds that each deputy reloaded. So, you figure both of them are carrying duty sized guns. So, figure 17 plus one. And they both shot through an entire magazine. They both reloaded and dumped rounds from the second magazine. So, this 40 individual. plus. What's that?
1: So, 40 plus rounds.
0: Yeah. So, 40 plus rounds easily. Um, now, this. I hope that this person is innocent and survives. Because they were transported and treated at the hospital, and they're going to make it. Now, Dan, I would like to think that if you and I are on a column, we put forty something rounds at somebody, they ain't going to be transported and survive. If they do, we need to quit doing what we're doing.
1: Um Now, were they think, shooting? where were they shooting from the exterior into the interior through yeah. the structure?
0: Yeah, figure standing on the front porch of a house shooting through the front window at the front door. 40-something rounds. Uh, Both of them boxed the reloads. One of them had the old cross thumb behind the slide. Uh, Oh, and there was there ever-present, let's get on the radio and tell everybody we're in a shootout in the middle of a shootout. And the person was wounded and survived. Now, obviously, I don't want anybody killed. But uh, yes, this person survived. Let's hope they're innocent in the whole thing um but i don't know if that's going to be ruled justified because i
1: I would I, know, would, is... I would I would have to know the totality of the circumstances what the call was yeah um, I, I do I'd, think there...
0: I'd,
1: I'd have to know i'd have to know a little bit more about the nature of the call yeah. uh if it's a If it's a domestic disturbance call, if it's a, Uh, uh, you know, a a man with a gun in my house call, if there's a uh, if if there's something along those lines, you'll probably see some level of justification there.
0: Well, the call was they had responded to a break in this was in an apartment complex, they had responded to a break in in another apartment. Uh, They searched that apartment did not find. An individual in that department. They then received a call that there was a person in another unit. And they went to that unit and there was a busted window. So I certainly understand guns out, et cetera. Well, someone just walking towards you in possession of a firearm is not a legal justification to shoot them. Especially Uh,
1: if it's their house.
0: Right. And because that was my first thing is how do we know that's not the homeowner? And so to tie that into this discussion, well, I'll just bounce the light off the floorboards or off the ceiling of my house to go see who that is at the front door. Well, what if it's cops that fear bite? And and, and, and I don't know whether or not these two deputies are going to end up being justified. Uh, it could have been that was a serial axe murderer that was coming through the door and, and the like. But...
2: but that might have just been a fortuitous
0: yeah, that's a fortuitous then. outcome. That's not uh, that's not good tactics. Uh, Dan, I'll send you the video link later uh, when we get off air. It, it was it was shockingly disturbing the lack of execution and skill, and that's even beside the point of the whole justification question. But I do think it fits uh, well in our discussion tonight about having that weapon out of the holster for anything other than it's time to deploy deadly force
1: i i i can't disagree with you in 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 that specific um instance right uh-huh. um we, we as law-abiding citizens off-duty cops on duty cops it really, really doesn't matter people people with guns in america uh we need to exercise some level of due diligence in what it is we are bringing our guns to uh-huh. um if if we don't, uh, if we don't engage our brains before we engage our trigger fingers, uh, or even engage our hands to to bring guns to bear, uh, we're asking for bad things to occur. Um, and, and and even if they do turn out well, as Steve points out, you know, a fortuitous outcome just because you were lucky doesn't mean you did the right thing. Um, You know, I pe- people say people tell me all the time. You know, when with home defense stuff, well, just barricade your your bedroom door, and you know, you call nine one one from there. Uh, I live in a single floor, split floor plan house with teenagers. Uh, my bedroom is on one side; kids' rooms are on the other side. If I have a forced entry into my home, I I have no choice. I have to leave my bedroom to to get to my kids i have to so that brings into question okay under what circumstances am i bringing what to that fight is is a light going to be advantageous or disadvantageous Uh, i'm gonna say it's advantageous but if somebody's knocking on my front door even if they're doing the cop knock you know the Uh the cop knock with their with their foot at the base of the door um i i I may bring a, I may be bringing a gun with me because I don't know precisely who is at my door until I physically see them. But then again, technology being the wonderful thing that it is, I can pick up my cell phone and engage all my cameras, and I can look and see who's there before I go to my door. So,
0: yeah, you may have just heard in the background part of my home alarm system because something just activated the terrier. And I don't know if my mic is picking it up or not. Uh, that's your trouble. The hound dog is bass, and uh, it gets very loud here. Should anything disturb it, and there's bass, uh, just fired up. So whatever it was, activated both parts of the the security system. Uh, Steve, I want to go back to your question about if you're going to you had X amount of dollars to spend on lighting, where would you spend it? Uh, I would argue that for most people in the private citizen context that a flashlight is a flashlight is always a flashlight in that that handheld flashlight you can take into places that you're not going to be allowed to take a weapon. Mm -hmm. And it still has those same uses that you can use as far as like identifying threats, dissuading threats. What does this read say because I can't read it in the dark? All those same uses that it would have. Uh, other than identifying a woman, you know, specifically for the purpose of shooting them, it still functions as a flashlight. And so, if you're only going to have so much dollars on it, I would say spend that on an actual handheld light. And the other thing I, I used to tell people all the time, you know, that I work on the campus, so I work on so I, I'm not allowed to have a firearm or a knife or something. Get yourself a good flashlight. Because it will solve a lot of your problems. Having a, having your wits about you and having a flashlight and having, you know, maybe something like pepper spray, if, if it's a really good brand. And I, I won't get into all that right there. But that flashlight is still always just a flashlight.
2: Well, and a, flashlight legally, a flashlight can be a flashlight, but not all flashlights are created equal.
0: Right. And, I, I used to send them to a local shop here in town. Steve, you're going to be familiar with Cloud Armory which is actually owned by Ninth District House of Representative Representative uh, Andrew Clyde in Congress. Uh, I would send people out there, go in there, tell the salespeople that I sent you, you need a flashlight. And of course, they would take them and give them a good steel, you know, steel constructive flashlight that had DNA scrapers and the, and the like on it, that it can also be used as a little cubiton if it needed to be. Mm-hmm. But if they get stopped by the cops, it's still just a flashlight
2: but a lot of people will balk at spending that much money on a flashlight and they shouldn't. Right.
1: Well, Elle, I, you know, if you're willing to spend 150 bucks on a weapon mounted light and, a, and an additional hundred and some change on a holster, that's going to carry that weapon and weapon mounted flashlight um, stick with the holster you've got and spend $200 on a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Um I've, I've carried, I've carried flashlights, per, I think from every major manufacturer I've tested, uh, flashlights from a lot of manufacturers, um, and cadre member from Apache Solutions Zach, uh, has his own lumen tube, his own Lux meter. He actually does independent testing on lights. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's just a, nerd is not enough of a descriptor it's just not accurate enough he is so far deep into it um and dollar for dollar um the the light that i carry right now is 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 probably the best one uh i can think of um it it outperforms cloud defensive it outperforms surefire it outperforms mod light um and it's about 220 230. Bucks, so,
0: and to save me 37 emails next week, please go ahead and tell them what light it was.
1: Uh, this, it, this is a, a Malkoff M A L K O F F, it is a Malkoff E2 XTL. Um, and it's an 18650 rechargeable lithium ion battery light. Uh, and it produces. T- I want to say it's around 800 lumens, uh, but it's like 55,000 candela. It's, it's physically painful, uh, to, to take a a close range blast of light to the face. Um, you, you can, you can feel, you can feel the heat on your hand in about three seconds if you're holding it three or four inches away, it's a lot of light.
2: So if it accidentally comes on in your pocket, you know about it pretty quick.
1: Well, um, it really can't. It, I don't know if you can see it, but the 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 tail cap bezel actually is recessed very very mm-hmm. well, um, and I can I can put a significant amount of pressure here and not 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 touch it off. I, I mean I I physically have to have to get in there to to light it.
2: So it's like putting the shell into all the way into the shotgun when you put your thumb in there. Okay.
0: I'm a big fan of the Surefire Stiletto Pro. Uh, I don't know what they cost because I didn't pay for mine, um, but I I have one. I really like it because I like the way the pocket clip and the flat profile of it works, and it just slides into my offside front pocket, and mm-hmm. it's just there, easy for me to attach. And I've programmed it so that the bright brightest slice the one that comes on uh, when I when I turn it on, and I use it constantly um, as just a lighting source to see things, much less uh, for any kind of safety purpose. And I really, really, really like it. Uh, It's funny, prior to that, I had just the regular Surefire. And uh, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to tell a story about my father really quickly and hope I don't get emotional. Um, My father was very much adamant that you always had a flashlight if you went outside after dark. And he loved flashlights. He still had the same, you know, lantern that he was given as when he was a little boy and uh we both had her on my mother one time got us each a lantern and we had them decoratively hanging up and and then the like and he was all time in the flashlight stuff and so when i received my stiletto pro i just happened to be meeting him and my mother for dinner that night and they live about an hour from from where i do and as they were leaving uh, i handed my father my old stiletto said, hey hey pops hey i just got a new flashlight today Here's, you can have mine that I was using. It charges off the same cable as this, as a surefire sour kick that you already have. So great. And I handed it to him and I shut the door and they drove off. And like I said, I live about an hour from where, where I am and where the restaurant is. And he called me when I got home, when he got home and it was after dark. He said, do you know what I did with that light you gave me? I said, I handed it to you and I shut the door to the truck. It's. Got to be in the passenger seat. His, all right. Well, tomorrow I'll go out when it's light outside, and I'll look and see if I can find it. And I just couldn't help myself. I said, "Hey, pops, you know, if you had to get flashlight, you could go find your flashlight."
2: <laughs> yeah. So and have a backup flashlight. But the bottom line yeah. is, go get a go get a good quality flashlight. Uh, those are mm-hmm. both great quality
0: flashlights,
2: and carry that, and you'll be well served.
0: There you go. One last thing on the lighting thing for for the cop side of it. Uh, There's finally notice being taken of the fact that the gap that is created in duty holsters when they're made as a bucket to accommodate a pistol and a light, and that is creating opportunities for fingers and foreign objects to get into cop holsters and come into contact with the trigger. Uh, surprisingly enough, the Rapid Force holster which is made by a company called Alien Gear. Um, They're actually actively, they're leading the industry in trying to fix that problem with their stuff. They just introduced a new holster that is specifically uh, dealt with that problem uh, for light bearing holsters. And I have not seen one and gotten my hands on it yet. Um, But I will say they are ahead of the game on what some of the other manufacturers are doing. I did, two weeks ago, receive a holster that I had ordered for a pistol with a weapon and a light. And I took it out of the package, put the pistol in it. And as it came out of the package, I could reach my trigger finger all the way into the holster enough that I could come into contact with the trigger. I did play with the retention enough that I could make it where I could not come into contact enough with the trigger to press it, but I could get my finger into there, And I sent pictures of that to the manufacturer and they have made me a new holster and are sending it to me, but I don't have it yet. Um, hopefully this is gonna be something that the gear industry addresses, but I'm sure as damn will echo once holsters get into the market and get into issue to get agencies to swap and change out wholesale it is going to be pretty hard.
1: It is a <laughs> Herculean task to say the
0: least. Yeah. Um, I do but it is finally something that is becoming of being noticed in the industry and starting to deal with it um for the first time in my twenty five year career, I'm actually carrying every day with a weapon mounted light because my agency issued me a pistol with a weapon mounted light and a holster, and I'm going to be a good team player and do what I'm told but uh hey, there it yes, is you know. I,
1: you know, I think in a, I think in a law enforcement context, I, I really do think that there's a, a a really solid place for them. Uh Um, I, I think that they're an incredibly useful tool. Um, you know, but I was that guy who had, um, you know, I had a, I had a light on my lapel when I was in uniform. Uh Um, I had, you know, my, my pocket light, I had uh, another light on my, on my gear vest. Um, and then, you know, I had a little AAA size, uh, you know, thing that's like that big uh, on that. Plus, then I had my, you know, light on my rifle and my light on my pistol. I had lights everywhere. Plus, there was probably two or three traffic wand lights oh. in, in, in my patrol bag. There's just lights everywhere. Problem, the, the, the primary problem exists is when somebody, some cop says, well, I got a light on my pistol. I can now yeah. take this one and I can throw that one to the, to the wayside. And now my mm-hmm. pistol, be now my pistol becomes the light that I use when I'm writing a ticket. Uh, oh, yeah. you, you you have, you have bad decisions that get made there. So.
0: Or they're clearing a the house and they search under the bed using that light.
1: Yeah. And you know, the, the dog that got scared and went under there, you know, he comes face to face with that and the dog snarls at him and he shoots the family dog. Yeah. So
0: yeah. And let's stick the weapon into this closet door that we don't know whether or not there's a person hiding in there to see if there's a person hiding in there where they can snatch it and take it away from me. That's a great idea.
1: It goes back to that in entangled thing we were talking about. All
2: right. well, well, what
1: that's... a segue Entangled. Yeah. <laughs> what
2: What should we talk about next? Go right ahead, Steve. Well, you said you wanted to talk about the class that Dan and I just attended up in Yadkinville, Cecil's, uh, interactive combatives class. I think that's what it's called.
1: It's immediate Uh, action combatives.
2: Thank you.
0: We'll go right ahead and tell people about the class.
2: Well, uh, Cecil's class was in Yadkinville. He's got another one coming up at, uh, is it Meat Hall? I think it's going to be. It was two and a half days. It ran from Friday from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. and then 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. And it was uh, a really good class. I had uh, one of my students went up there with me and uh, they got a lot out of it. It was something they'd been looking for, something I've been looking for. You know, I'm not, I'm just not going to go to the BJJ studio every week or even every two weeks. I'm just not going to do it. Um, But Cecil blended a really good program of uh, combatives combatives in a weapon-based environment, gave you some things you can practice on your own. Uh, He obviously encourages you to go uh, take more training in BJJ. He loves BJJ and he tells you why. But what's refreshing about Cecil is, you know, he'll be right there to tell you whether you're a pistol person or a combatives person is there is no one answer to all scenarios right? There's a, there's a time when BJJ is not going to take care of your problem. There's a time when a pistol is not going to take care of your problem. There's a time when a palm or a flashlight is not going to take care of your problem. So it it was just a really good class and, uh, you know, it, it moved at a speed you wanted to move at. One of my biggest concerns when I get in these environments is getting hurt. I think the closest anybody got to being hurt in this class was when I inadvertently launched Dan about a foot in the air. <laughs> when we, I was doing a double heel grab and uh, Cecil had warned us about being careful. Our legs are stronger than we think they are. And the next thing I saw, there wasn't any part of Dan touching the ground until he hit the ground and I went, oops, <laughs> but at least it was Dan. So I had that going for me. So that's my perspective on the class and I'll let Dan talk about it.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, I love me some Cecil Birch. Uh, what a what a guy! And uh, you know, we had folks uh, in the class who were from literally zero experience. They had no firearms experience. They had no combatives experience. Never taken so much as a karate class when they were a kid. Uh, all the way up to um, you know Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, belted folks, purple and brown belts um, in the class, and. You know everything in between there's a couple members of uh, the apache solutions cadre uh in the class with varying degrees of combative experience um and the way that that cecil taught that class uh it challenged the upper level folks uh and but it wasn't out of reach of the of the folks who didn't have the experience there um and uh yeah, I was I was really, really happy. We had a guy come down, one of one of my students uh from Maine, uh Patrick, he came down. Uh he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt, and he's been looking for that class for quite some time. Um, so he came down, stayed with us uh at Apache. We had some uh, private range time with him on Friday and again on Monday. Um and you know it was it was great because I I had no idea that Steve was gonna be there and you know open the door to the lounge and there's steve the magnificent steve havey and i was like oh my of all of all the places of all the classes to run into steve havey that's you know combatives class you know i like i'll be i'll be lucky to make it to steve's age let alone still doing uh still doing combative classes
2: i was lucky to make it to my age of that's... all the gin joints in all the world you come walking <laughs> yeah. into
1: mine. right um and uh ran into uh Chet Palumbo, uh, who's the combative lawyer. Uh, he's he's got a, a podcast, he's got a YouTube channel, um, does a lot of uh, a lot of legal stuff. Talk talks a lot about um, you know defensive legal concepts and things of that nature. Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt, uh, great guy. And I've known him for a couple of years via social media and stuff. Uh, but this is my first time interacting with him in person. Fantastic dude. Um, and it, it was it was just a really great class really enjoyed that and i was very sore all week my 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 sho- my shoulders are junk anyway but yeah my shoulders my elbows I, I was i was i was not feeling my my best my best life that that week
0: what kind of stuff did you guys do in the class
1: Steve, you without, want to start without that? Without giving off?
0: away all of Cecil's. No, I
2: mean we we went through a lot of the, um, you know, basic ground entanglement, um, you know, guards, using your legs, using a heel grab, um, underhooks, overhooks, swimming, pummeling. The difference between pummeling and and swimming. How to you know maintain your posture? How to keep your waist below the other guy? I mean, a lot of a lot of basic stuff that. We didn't know those of us that haven't taken that type of thing. I mean, I, you know, we get a little bit, bit of that in ECQC. I went through ECQC. It was, you've been through ECQC Lee. It was like ECQC without the Sims around and without the guys that have been there three times and they're coming back so they can figure out how to beat you up. Let me show you, let me show you how I can fold you with your clothes on to (laughs) Right. So um, I mean, there was one lady, she came with her husband specifically so she could throw her husband around you know that was that was her goal for the class uh the really good part for both the weapons-based guys and the bjj guys right because you had guys there that were really into bjj but maybe not so much weapons and some that were into weapons maybe not so much bjj or grappling any kind of hands-on entangled fighting and just as we saw when I took ECQC and which I was guilty of an ECQC and would have been guilty of here. If I'd have gotten in in there with a weapon, people going to the weapon too soon and making, and you know, as you mentioned, you're not going to have the draw speed that you thought you were going to have. And people want to get to that weapon. And they want to get to that weapon too soon and the problems that that causes. And that was an eye opener for people on both, whether you were weighted towards BJJ or weighted, towards weapons that was very eye-opening for a lot of folks
0: so yeah the the ecqc that that steve is referring to is craig douglas's extreme Close quarter concepts class and if you can find that at shipworks.com and find the schedule and cecil's company is immediate active com, and cecil's been on the show a number of times dan what were you saying
1: uh you know steve hit on a really good point there is that uh A lot of gun folks, uh, when when you start to go hands on um, and you get in that entangled space, uh, the gun becomes a safety blanket mentally Uh, And, you know, they have this emotional uh, reaction of if I can get to the gun, everything will be okay because they're gun people. Right. And they've fired tens or hundreds of thousands of rounds and they're very skilled. They know that they're very, very skilled with the gun. Um, and that is not just a intellectual knowledge; it is a deep rooted emotional connection that you have with that tool, and it it makes everything okay. But when you contextualize that, and like I said at the the early portion of the podcast, um, it when you make that poor timing decision, that becomes our gun. Um, it's it's no longer yours um and and fighting over a gun i mean you guys have both been through ecqc and i've I've been through it as well fighting over a gun um even even a sims gun is a uh it's a harrowing experience i I think that's the the best way to put it. it you have a you have a lot of um a lot of emotion involved in that and if you if you make that mistake in training, you may end up with a painful lesson. Uh, you do that in real life, you you, you might not walk away from it. Um, so it's best to make these mistakes in a well-constructed uh, class like Cecil's or Craig's or Cliff's or... Um, you know, anyone, John Valentine, any, any one of the other, uh, you know, combatives guys who are, uh, you know, Ben Aubin from red Beer combatives. There's a number of guys out there who just have really dialed in classes that mix, uh, you know, grappling in a, in a weapons-based environment. And if, if you haven't taken, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't taken one yet, step outside your comfort zone and do it. If, 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 if Steve Havy can do it and, Lee Weems can do it and broken Dan Brady can do it. You can too.
0: You mentioned Cliff. Is that Cliff Barley? Yes. What's his company's name? It's slipping my mind right now.
1: Oh, you would ask. Um,
2: <laughs> While he's looking I mean, that up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, go ahead. I'll let me, I'll segue for you or I'll uh, interlude just to be clear. I loved ECQC class and I would highly recommend it, and I love Cecil's class, and I would highly recommend it. If you can only take one, take the one that you can get to. Personally, having been through both now, I took them backwards. I took ECQC first, and then I took Cecil's class. Cecil's class would be a great prelude, not a prerequisite, but a great prelude to taking uh, ECQC. If you can swing both, that's that's the way I would do it. You'll get some basics there that will help help you out a lot there. It's interesting. um, Craig's class has both sim rounds in it and it has live shooting in it. And it had a couple of uh, guys that were in the ECQC class that we took Lee. They didn't show up for the last day because there wasn't, they just, I don't don't know why, but um, it, it was a real shame. They're both great classes and they will both drive home amongst other things. The need to avoid getting into confrontations to begin with. Yep. And that's one of the biggest things I took away from my ECQC after I got folded in half enough times was I don't want to get in that situation. And what am I going to do to keep my ass out of it? Choose my language.
0: Mm. Yeah. You know, so, Dan touched on something that we need to, I think, really delve into gun people have that emotional connection. That if they think they can get to the gun, everything's going to be okay. Um, Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, oh, no. No, 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 no. You are not wrong whatsoever. Uh, it's my, my happy place. I'm, I feel like I can handle anything if it's just a shooting problem, uh, especially at pistol distances. I, I'm not... I don't know where anything can go wrong if a fight ensues, but if it's solved this problem with my pistol, I'm pretty confident that I can solve this problem with my pistol. Uh, the where that comes off the rails is this whole you know personal distance grappling close quarter stuff. If folks, if you think there's no way you can miss it three yards, <laughs> try yeah, you might not be able to miss it three yards as you're standing flat footed at a stationary two dimensional target that ain't moving. Uh try doing it when you've been in the been fighting For a minute or so let me tell you a minute is a long time to fight or even not that long uh you're wrestling and grappling with someone and they're entangled with you and they're moving in the opposite direction of where your gun is and you're trying to catch them uh i think that's and floating is a very bad thing in that that situation and i'm not going to tell you what floating is go take the class um it's very easy to miss at inside of three yards it's very easy to miss at anything beyond muzzle contact distance in those situations and uh yeah, dan you, had can, it.
1: you you can see a lot of those videos uh that craig douglas has put out uh, on ecqc and you'll see dudes trying to float the gun and and make shots and they'll miss three four five pistol shots from from that far away um it's 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 absolutely crazy uh cliff's cliff's company is uh hill country combatives um that's uh you know cliff byerly um and he also puts puts together uh some really good stuff the but like like you said uh lee if it's a pistol problem i'm i'm i like you said with the caveat that anything can go wrong anything can happen the fight's going to be what the fight wants to be not what you want it to be mm-hmm. but if it's a pit if it's a pistol problem i have a high degree of confidence in that you know there's there's four or 500 people in the country who are better pistol shooters than me, but I'm friends with all of them. So like, it's, well, I, I don't have anything to worry from those people because I'm friends with all of them. But right. it's, you know, but when you do, when all of a sudden, you know, you're at that contact distance and six foot seven, 250 pounds, Steve harvey has got his mitts on you. Just like, yeah. Um, it's, it's a very different world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I had a conversation with the baby cop the other day that in a scenario situation, they asked me at what point would I have drawn my firearm? And I said, we don't have the same answer to that question. All right, that, that, that answer for you and that answer for me are not the same um, because I know exactly how long it's going to take me to perform certain tasks, when I need to start that task, etc., you don't know that at this point in your career. So don't be trying to do it on when I would do it or when someone else would do it. It's when you can do it within your skill level that you can do it. I will teach you when you are justified to do so, but not an exact moment of when you should do so. And, uh, you know, everybody wants that memorization answer, but you really need the understanding answer.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's what happened, uh, you know, with the, the tooler principle, right? the tool principle got turned into the 21 foot rule uh, because, because everybody wants that hard factual, this distance, this number, this time. Um, but the fact right. of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, Sergeant and then later Lieutenant Tuler, uh, he never said anything about a rule. Right. Uh, but that's what things like that tend to get uh, because people want that, that hard, fast answer. But the fact of the matter is the answer for Lee and the answer for Steve and the answer for Dan might happen at very, very different times.
0: Yeah. Uh, as I told the cadet, I know from lots and lots and lots of testing that I can go from low rated to shot on center of mass in a very tight target window and a half second or less, repeatable on demand. I know that I can be hand on gun and holster and get to that same same, formage level in a quarter of a second, repeatable on demand. But I've done it enough to know that and to be confident in it. And, you know, and I'm not saying that braggingly, it's just, this is what I do. This is my, not only is my, my profession, it's my hobby, it's my fun. And I've done it enough under testing and tight situations to know that I can do that. It's my happy place, as you said it perfectly, Dan. It's it's my comfort zone. That equation completely changes when I'm wrestling another person. <laughs> All right. Those times that I just quoted you are standing on a range, shooting at Either a still target or stationary target, you know, you know whatever, uh, and you know, and you put it on the computerized scenarios and all that kind of stuff. Those times don't change. Um, doing it one handed while I'm fighting off someone with the other hand—that situation changed. That the, the the math ain't the same. Nope. Steve, you look like you got something smart to say. <laughs>
2: Well, and I think that goes back to the whole, you talked about how fast you could shoot, how fast you could come from low ready, how fast you could come hand on the holster. Now we get to the one second draw, right? Those are all about how to shoot fast. But as you pointed out, that's shooting a stationary target. Now there nobody and certainly not me is saying that being able to draw faster, isn't good. It is good. The faster you can draw, the better, the faster you can think the better. The more accurate you are, the better. And it has to be both speed and accuracy. I uh, heard uh, our, a couple of old FUDs on a podcast the other day say, you know, accuracy is more important than speed. Well, okay. But if I take 10 seconds and I'm very accurate, it's no good. If I am take two-tenths of a second and I miss, that's no good either. It, it really is a combination. And what's important for people to understand is, what you can do in that environment is not the same as what the environment you, you may find yourself in and are more likely to find yourself in in a fight and you have to expose yourself to both of those you have to do that training on the on the square and flat range because that's where you don't have a whole lot of opportunities to do the other type of stuff so but do them both that's all
0: and i would be remiss if i didn't point out that just because you do the skill in a certain amount of time, and the bullet goes where it's supposed to go. Doesn't mean that it's an instantaneous stop. Yep. You may still have the entangle problem, even if you if you shot the person. Right. Uh, and right None of it matters if you're not legally justified. Now, it's not ambiguous at all when someone is wrestling you, trying to get your gun away from you, or you know whatever. That's a pretty unambiguous situation. Um, but you got to understand the legalities and the justifications.
1: I was uh, I was talking to uh, to John Valentine uh, just the other day, and uh, he he touched upon what you were just saying, Lee, uh, about the the skill building that we that folks like us really enjoy on the on the square range, and figuring out how long does this problem take, how long does this skill take me to do this combination of skills, whatever it happens to be, um, and. But we need to remember that, like you said, the math changes when you are opposed. Uh, when you have opposition to your intent, whether that is through uh, entanglement, movement, uh, or opposing force, that completely changes the math. And the it again, to kind of come full circle again, it starts to boil down to those timing decisions. Um, you know, if you if you look at any high level professional fighter, um, it's not how fast they can throw their jab or their overhand right or whatever it happens to be. It's the timing decisions that they make, uh, or the way that they set up their strikes for their timing decisions to be done well. That makes a humongous difference, and um craig douglas was on a uh on a a podcast i guess it was with uh john hopman from philster and he talked about that i can i can send you the link we can link it link it in and they they talk about that uh the time before the beep um the the timing decisions that have to get made uh it's a fantastic video I, i refer to it fairly regularly um uh, I think it's 17, 20 minutes, really worthwhile. And Craig and, and John go over that. If you make, if you have those hardwired skills, those holster skills and those critical accuracy skills uh, and you make a good timing decision, John, John Hopman said it really well. And he said, it's, it's the reaction from your opposing force should almost be like that of a five-year-old seeing a magic trick. It is as if by magic, I have produced an entire pistol right here. Look what's behind your ear. And, you know, there's a, you know, all of a sudden there's a full-size pistol in your face. But that timing decision has to be done well. And if it's not done well, your skills won't
0: matter. I want everyone to picture. You've seen this scene in a movie somewhere. Uh, the guy's sitting there at the computer on the keyboard doing, you know, hitting buttons, and behind him the magic computer, like you, you know, the big supercomputer is back there operating, and it goes over and it retrieves something from one data slot, and it, the robotic arm pulls it out and takes it down and inserts it in the other. Okay, it's easy to execute the skills when you already have the motor program preloaded and you're just waiting for the stimulus to unleash that skill. It's another thing when you have to see what's going on, decide which program you need, retrieve that program, load it, and then execute the skill. And classes like this one, the immediate action combatives class with Cecil, they teach you, they prepare you for that. We've talked about on the show numerous times the need for pre-decision making. Well, this helps you learn what your limits are. It helps you learn what it looks like when, you know, when you are entangled or any of the other facets that come into play. And it helps you, one, defeat the panic factor when it happens for real. Because now your brain's not being introduced to it for the very first time versus when you're, you're facing it and you're having to adjust to it on the fly and then figure out what to do. Then it's hard but when you already know what you're going to do when certain things happen and you don't get to say that, well, I would just, because that doesn't work. Uh, But if you understand what it's like to have to time that presentation in an entangled situation and the like, when you've actually seen what happens when it goes wrong and when it goes right, all that kind of stuff, it'll help you make better decisions if you have to make them under duress. Uh, I have a pistol that I, absolutely positively love it is the most accurate pistol that I have ever owned I love shooting it I achieved a very significant shooting milestone with it I do not carry the pistol because occasionally it malfunctions now I know what causes the malfunction and I know the manufacturer would fix it if I send it back to them the problem is, is that the pistol's worth more to me as a training aid, as it is, than just having another gun that I got plenty of guns that function flawlessly that I could carry. The reason, one of the reasons I love this pistol that occasionally I get that unexpected malfunction and then I have to diagnose that it happened and I have to fix it. And that is so so much more than standing on the square range and setting up malfunction drills that I have to clear. Because I never know when it's coming. I may go through three, four, five, six, seven range sessions and it doesn't happen. And I may be in the middle of the eighth range session and all of a sudden there it is. I got to fix it. And there is value in that to me because it prepares me for when I have when I have to do it. It's I know how to clear my functions. You you put me on the timer and I can do it, but oh my gosh, my gun just did it! Now what did it do? Now fix it. That's why you go to such a training class. And what do you talk? Yeah
1: the 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 thing uh, Cecil touches on on that, but the you said, well, I would just sure you would um, <laughs> the. A, a, a lot of, A lot of folks talk about uh, dirty tactics in fights, right? Mm-hmm. Thumb in the eye, you know, jamming the windpipe, uh, you know, punches to the groin, what, what a, biting, what, whatever. Um, and Cecil addresses that a lot in that class. Um, and how how realistic. The I would just uh, is under those circumstances. Um, the analogy is often made about you know professional fights, mixed martial arts, boxing, whatever it happens to be, um, and they're like, well, they're not, uh, you know, they're 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 playing by rules. That that is true. They're playing by rules. They have weight classes, all those kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, is you're not looking to jab somebody in the eye um, when you just got hit by a car with that dude's right fist. Um, I, I, I don't think a lot of people who haven't engaged in either recreational uh, or competitive martial arts or uh, combatives training, um, I, I don't think they appreciate the sort of computer reset that occurs uh when a guy my size hits you with a right cross it's it is it is a stunning feeling that you don't recover from immediately even if you are a rather skilled fighter um one of the reasons that uh, yeah, we we talked a little bit earlier in the show uh, before the show about police academies and how long they should be and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that I really truly believe that that police academies should be longer and should be more uh, intricately involved in combatives training is I really truly believe that a lot of excessive force that is used by police officers is used because they're terrified, they're scared. Mm-hmm because they've never been hit in the face before, full force by another human being. And uh, I I think that you would see a lot of the excessive use of force because of fear, uh, not objectively reasonable fear, but subjectively unreasonable fear. I think a lot of that would go down um, if they had engaged in some actual combatives training, not some of the, uh, how to phrase this, uh, nicely, um, control and restraint or defensive tactics stuff that is taught in police academies in service training nationwide. Um, there are some police forces out there, some, some agencies that actually do, um, entangled combative stuff. Uh, I know the Gracie school has some, uh, law enforcement centric, um, programs and things of that nature. I'm 100% behind that, but that is the exception, not the rule, in law enforcement training, and I think that's one of the things that needs to change.
0: Uh, I strongly and wholeheartedly agree with with that statement. Uh, I think maybe you need to do it at as like an immediate post certification course, like post as in immediately after done, not post as in peace officer standard training. Um, have the initial certification, but then you got to stay for like two more weeks for more combative training or stuff before you actually get released from the academy. Uh, because if we do that to the level you're talking about during the academy, you're going to have injuries to the point that people have to drop out and come back to academies because they have to recuperate. So maybe it'd be a thing we've earned the certification, but now we've got two more weeks of combatives or three more weeks of combatives or whatever the like is. Um Georgia has embraced the whole BJJ philosophy um, that has been integrated into, I know the academy uh, control tactics uh, curriculum. And there's actually now a specialty certification uh, from our Georgia post for BJJ instructor. I do not know what the requirements for that and as to how they are because I just, I don't speak the language. I don't know. I, I sent when the when the thing came out. I sent it to Cecil. I said, "Hey, look at this. Uh, I know some guys that are like blue belt level that have the certification." Um, and I don't know where that equates into the whole pantheon. There's maybe some BJJ guy throwing stuff at his at his phone right now. That's not enough. I don't know. Uh, I know that blue belt, blue belt is significantly higher than my belt. <laughs>
1: It's been my my, it's been my experience that anybody who anybody who has attained a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu blue belt, um, they're going to be just fine in ninety nine point nine percent of physical altercations they ever get and they will be much further trained. Um, I told rookie cops forever, look, if you're going to do anything, do six months of Jiu Jitsu, just six months of Jiu Jitsu Mm -hmm. and learn about Postural stability, learn what it feels like to have somebody slap a choke on you and you know you're going unconscious because it's like, it's, in a way, it's like active, uh, you know, combative chest. You are thinking your way through a problem, but that problem is depriving your brain of oxygen. Um, and how to get through that very, very quickly without panicking is nine tenths of the battle. Do if you're a rookie cop or even a a seasoned cop, go do six months of jujitsu. Please, you will do yourself an enormous amount of favors.
0: Uh, I would argue that if you're a private citizen, that would also do you an enormously enormous amount of favors. Absolutely true. Uh, we've been going a little over an hour and a half now. We have one other topic, but we've got into some of these other ones so much that we're going to do, break it off now and we'll come back with those. actually had two other topics we're going to touch on, uh, but we got to the time limit um, with just these two. So Dan, what you got upcoming and any final uh, thoughts you would like to throw out?
1: Uh, I mean, just thanks to both of you for, for doing this. Um, I, You know, this is one of my favorite things to do um you know most fun i can have with my clothes on not on a range and um let's see early march i want to say it's march 2nd uh i've got a compromised lighting conditions class uh one day eight hours uh in yadkinville you can find that on uh, apache's facebook page and various other social media and then apache's uh instructor enrichment program will be uh out there for our uh our next class the 7th 8th and 9th of june uh it's uh it's not an instructor certification it is an instructor enrichment program if you got questions about that hit me up um that's it thanks a lot lee thank you steve
2: thank you how, dan. Do,
0: people, how do people find you dan to hit you up
1: uh through apache social media if, that's the best way to find me.
0: That would be Apache, Apache Solutions.com. So <laughs> let me help you help you, Dan. Um, yeah, Apache Solutions, Apache nc. Com. the NC being for North Carolina. And if you look on like Facebook and the like, there are Apache Solutions, would be how you would find them. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> sure. Steve, any final thoughts? What do you have upcoming?
2: Well, let's see. I'm doing a uh, revolver class on Sunday morning, March 17th, a shotgun class on Monday evening, March 18th at John Creek Indoor Gun Range. Uh, I've got, looking very much forward to TACCON in April, going to be assisting the uh, most magnificent Akil Kadir at the Mingle in May. Looking forward to that. I think before we turn the lights out on this program, we should talk about how, just remind everyone that Dan had his lights turned out during Cecil's class. So they were practicing a choke and Cecil said, okay, be careful because you'll go out pretty quick. And next thing we know, Dan's over there taking a nap. <laughs> it, it happens just that quick with certain chokes. That yeah, Dan got to fly, he was the only one that flew through the air and he was the only one that got choked out.
0: And somebody woke him up. That, that's the amazing part. <laughs>
2: no, he, we, we waited till he woke himself up. <laughs> okay. He was great. And I I do want to give a shout out to another gentleman that was at the class, Walt Settelmeyer. He was uh, a big help for me. Uh, he was a great training partner. And uh, it was really good having him there as well.
0: Okay, cool. Um, well, First of all, thanks to you two guys for, for coming on the night that some people are involved in some other entertainment activity and uh, and taking your time out to do this this evening. Um, I am at the halfway point of the next to the last class in the graduate program that I'm in. I should be finishing with it sometime early to mid-May. Uh, and at that point, we'll see what I do as far as like coming back out doing some open enrollment classes. Uh, I've got one scheduled september i think 21st and september 21st
2: yeah.
0: september 21st in cisco Georgia is our tentative date right now but we have not decided on what class and stuff it's going to be but i know it's going to be till after at least mid-may before i can actually start uh, getting back out there so i need to start planning now for some stuff whatever i'm going to be able to do uh the new job is going well uh, i'm very much enjoying it but you know i'm still learning my way around that and i'm kind of trying to focus on that more so than doing business stuff right now plus the grad school plus the teaching the college classes and everything um it does look like right now that i am 99 percent in for tech con, though it does look like it's worked it's worked out where i can make that and so i'm going to be the fill-in uh, emergency guy because there's always somebody that uh that cancels uh the week of. They get subpoena for a court case or come up with the flu or COVID or something like that, and they can't make it. So instead of rearranging the whole schedule, I'm just going to be the utility player that steps up and and, uh, jumps in and fills any gaps that come along. Um, So I'm actually looking forward to getting out and seeing some of the tribe again. I haven't been able to do much the last six or seven months to do the grad school work. Um, But, you know, we'll be back at it soon in some form or fashion. Uh, Again, thanks to you guys for uh, for joining in tonight. Remember, uh, if you do share the links to these shows, only share them with your smart friends. I haven't given that admonition in a while. And um, we understand that your time is your most important asset. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us.